I sold it to the devil. Uh, yeah. Huh? I sold my voice. Oh, okay, cool. What? I sold my voice. Yeah, record it. What do you mean you sold it? You know, like Little Mermaid when she gave her voice away so she could get. So you're selling your voice now. To the world. Yeah, that's what I did. That's a bit mad. That's like selling your soul. Yeah, basically. Whoa. And you're winking. <laughs> See, I'm rebuking this devil energy that you have. I'm not involved. You wanna sell your soul, your voice? <laughs> Can't even sell trainers, but you're selling your soul. <laughs> Leave me alone, man. <laughs> Can't even sell your yards. <laughs> How long does it take you to drink a coffee? Are bro? you getting onto me today? I don't understand where this energy like, came not, from. That's not even coffee anymore. It's just like di- diluted milk. First of all, yeah, it's defo caffeine. Secondly, stop coming for me because I'll make you cry today. You know, like that. You see this episode? I'll make you bore your eyes out. How about that? <laughs> Oh my god. I can't cry. I'm too tough to cry. Try me, let's go. Staring contest. Staring. You know this is all on tape right now? No, it's not. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we Oh, we started. Yeah, we started, B. Oh, okay. This is how I like to, I like to start in, just chilling, vibes in. See how comfortable you are, and now you're panicked. <laughs> Come for me now that you know the cameras are on. Come for me. I'll take that all back. You take it back, yeah? <laughs> Oh my god, do you know what, this is how you know me and you are connected differently because we really came to talk about some real shit today <laughs> and you're out here selling me out, selling your voice, selling your yeah, soul, just selling bare things. You know how it is. I really don't. <laughs> oh my god, I'm playing. That's just how we vibes, baby. This is how we vibes, baby. How we are. Period, it's facts. So it's what's fact. your intro? Well, I was, uh, Lena, what is this energy? <laughs> Okay, okay, sorry, oh sorry. My I'm, I'm gonna let you do it. Yeah, do, let me, do you wanna do you wanna introduce the thing for me? Seeing as you'll bring up all this energy. Hey. <laughs> wow. Anyways. Hey guys, welcome back to Conscious Conversations. It's, it's your favorite girl, it's me, I'm back. Um today I'm actually here with, you know, one of my what do I call you? My best friend, my sister. Yeah, both. Both. But you yeah. can't spell my name right. <laughs> Now I'm on crud. Okay, touche, touche, touche. Guys, my my sis. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. got my sis on today. We're gonna be yes. talking about some real deep stuff. We're gonna be talking about trauma, healing. You know, going through things at a young age, processing all of that. Introduce yourself, baby. Oh, do I look this way? You can look at the camera. You oh, can look wherever you want to okay. look. Hey, I'm Lena. You didn't even say my name. I'm. A le- I let people introduce themselves. Oh, I thought you were gonna introduce. Do you want me, me? to introduce you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have Lena on the show today. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What she said, that's my name. She said, that's my name, don't wear it out. <laughs> I'm tired of you. I'm actually so tired of you. Oh my God. Right, I know we've been having jokes today. Yeah, but, but we get serious now. We're getting serious now. We're, getting we're down here to it. We're getting down to the, to the depth of things, yeah? Yeah. We are going to be talking about some things that you went through mm-hmm. in your life. Um, you know, under you know, I think well, we're both grown in it, so we can understand and heal and go through that process and that trauma now. But when you look back on the things you went through at a certain age, mm-hmm. like how old are you when you? Um, when you first went? My first experience with trauma must have been like eight or nine years old. Mm. So tell the people like where you're from, where you're raised, all of that sort of okay. stuff. So because so, they're hearing the accent, but they're not understanding. Long it. story short, I was actually born in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents moved me around all around the UK, mm-hmm. moved to Libya, then back to the UK, mm-hmm. then to the US where I moved to Detroit. And then I lived in Libya for about two years mm. and then came back to London. So I came full circle. Right. 
but I mostly grew up in Detroit, hence the accent. Hence the accent, yeah. yeah. But Loki, you're a London babe. Yeah, like, Loki. I would. I just belong here. Fucking you know America. I mean? Even though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for real, yeah. But, but for real, though. Yeah, because that's yeah. why I don't want to live in the US. Yeah, forget that. No thing. Oh my god, but um, yeah, because do you know what? I think me and you, yeah, it's it's funny because I've never clicked with anybody as much as I've clicked with you. And the more I get to know you, I think it's because we've had, we share the same pain. Mm-hmm. We both saw death at a young age. Mm-hmm. We both experienced mad stuff within family, all of that sort of stuff. Um, similar upbringing. Similar upbringings, you know, poverty, all of that. Yeah. All of that lifestyle. And I think a lot of people, when they see certain things at a young age or they're a part of certain things at a young age or... You know, especially when it comes to death, mm-hmm. um, PTSD is real. Yeah, Do you get definitely. It? Like, and we don't even know real. that it is PTSD until you're in therapy talking about it, and right, therapist telling you all of these things that you did afterwards were PTSD. Exactly, and even coming to that realization, you you can't come to that unless you've healed. Mm-hmm. And I think the healing process itself is always going to be the most difficult part, which is why a lot of people are broken kids and adults bodies do you get it because yeah. everyone's just very cushy living how they live like everyone's yeah. good being traumatized because they know they can keep their trauma under wraps it's their excuse for yeah. behaviors that kind of serve them in a way right. especially when it comes to manipulation mm-hmm. a lot of things like gaslighting or toxic partners stems from childhood trauma mm-hmm. and abuse right but people aren't going to want to change those things if they're benefiting from them do you know what i mean yeah if they're able to manipulate people and they get an advantage, they're not going to want to heal. Because they don't realise it's a problem yet. Yeah, until, yeah, yeah. obviously, eventually it will become a problem because everything always comes back full circle. Exactly. You're not going to be able to treat people bad and then live a good life. Mm. That's not how it works. Karma's real. Yeah. Definitely. And I think people forget that. Like, what yeah. goes around will really come around to bite you in your ass. Like, it does. Got to treat does. people nice. But I want to delve in a bit into your story. Mm-hmm. Like, you know... How was it when, so this is pre-Libya, right? Mm-hmm. How was it when you first experienced death in Detroit? Um, who was the person, stuff like that, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. I must have been, I'm trying to remember the age. I was about 15 years old mm-hmm. um, and I was quite into drama club. So I was active in theater and everything. Right. So we were in school on a Sunday setting mm-hmm. up um, like the, the theater. So we're like, we build the sets, cool, we do yeah. it together. Yeah, set design and we're kind of like a little we were like a little family Mm. because we'd see each other after school almost every day yeah and one of my friends james was there that day Mm. and we all vibed he had a good day the day was ending we're all about to head home and a group of my friends want to go to the movies or you guys call cinema right the cinema the movies sorry i'm in with the lingo but anyways (laughs) with your grown ass self but um so yeah they wanted me to come with them but at the time obviously it's a sunday night my parents were quite strict i couldn't just like hang out with boys at the time yeah and you're Um, 15 yeah but i was just 15 it's like innocent so they wanted me to come with them and i just told them oh sorry guys i won't be able to it's school night Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um maybe next time right and so um i remember saying goodbye to him um and he hugged me and then he said bye to me twice Right. Which I always think I replay back in my head sometimes. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, why did he say bye twice? So later on that day, instead of going to the movies, they actually went um, mudding. Right. Which in Detroit is when people 
take trucks and they drive in circles yeah. donuts yeah and they drive in circles i guess the concept is just to get the truck as muddy as possible or whoever's sitting in the truck as muddy as possible right and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and the truck flipped three times mm. um and he was like killed instantaneously yeah, on, on the scene right i didn't find out about it until the next morning mm-hmm. when the principal came into my classroom and had announced that my friends had gone into accident and that James had died. So you even found out via school? Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. It just because at this time, this was before people are all over social media. Like yeah, nowadays, you find out socials. death through social media sometimes. Yeah. And you'll find out then and there. Yeah. Like someone's passed away, you'll know 10 minutes later yeah. that they passed away. And I've had that experience where I've seen my right. friend's death while I was abroad exactly. on Facebook yeah it's before mad. I even talk like talk to anyone mm-hmm. but yeah I found out through the principal who came around and I was kind of in a state of shock because I'd never experienced loss before right so I'm just thinking no I saw him yeah, like, yeah. I saw him just a few hours before he died there's no mm. he's not dead right like, I genuinely said to the person like the principal I was like you're lying mm. like I I didn't believe that that was a true thing like I was like it must be a um um, someone else mistaken identity yeah right there yeah. was somebody else right so i just kind of that day was kind of a blur but i just remember the whole school was in a state of like just you could just see it was a very heavy day for everyone yeah and so the school had set up like a counselor that you have to go see mm-hmm. if you're close to him to talk about the him. loss yeah and at the time what did you feel like what did you think about that because i think i don't find it helpful yeah all. i think it's a bit it was I, too soon it's a bit useless when it comes from somebody that, like, yeah. who are, like, who are you? Do yeah. you get, if I know someone has passed away, I'm 15, 14, whatever, that's somebody that I knew, I was, that was my friend, whatever, it's mm-hmm. said. The last thing me personally at that age I would want to go do is go talk to a counsellor from school. Yeah, exactly. That you have no connection to whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And And did they even know them like that? Exactly. And not even that, but it's like, for me, imagine I went about the school day, I continued to stay in school and the whole day, there's, he sat in front of me in right. one of my lessons. Right, yeah. So I come into the classroom and I sit down in my seat and I immediately burst out into tears because mm-hmm. it's that realization of that person was there and now they're gone. Yeah. And I didn't have a connection to God at that point where I could have a full understanding of life and death. Right. And I didn't understand how to like process it. Right, yeah. Going home, I felt like I couldn't discuss it there either because my family kind of grew up with this very much like we don't talk about emotions and we don't yeah we don't like everything is kind of like you keep it to yourself under the rug, so we sweep yeah. it under the rug which is what I did with his death I went to his funeral and I went to his I don't know if you know what a viewing is yeah 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 I went to his viewing like the casket viewing and, stuff. and I guess the viewing helped me in a sense of okay he's dead because I can see his body right in front of me right but it's a very um it's like a reality is like a wake-up call mm. because at 15 you like you don't think about that stuff you don't think about yeah. dying at 15 you it's think, a raw experience yeah like it's real so it kind of i feel like it pushed me to grow up much faster than i would yeah. have if i hadn't experienced that yeah so do you know what i think it's interesting because obviously that you grew up in america and mm-hmm. that had happened to you well his death was through it was almost by chance. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Obviously, as a person of faith, we understand that everything was written for them. Um, do you think that that makes the process easier? What, that, by, that so is by ex- chance or that is like written for that to happen? Yeah. Um, I think now, from a spiritual perspective, 
it brings me peace right. to know that that was that was what was written as in he was supposed to die that day mm. no matter what I would have done because right. I carried a lot of guilt and shame for years after mm. because I felt like it was my fault because I thought if I had gone with them to the movies I would have been the one to tell them we're not going mudding right and therefore he would have never died right but having gone through therapy and having conversations with my friends and family mm. I've come to the realization that nothing I would have done would have changed the fact that he was going to die that day right he might have died differently but he was mm. supposed to die that day and so that brings me a sense of peace and knowing that that's just that was meant to happen and there is no outside control right Fuck. it can yeah. feel frustrating because you feel like why was his life cut so short yeah but from a spiritual perspective it's like his life was cut short but he is then open to a whole another realm like he's not just gone and exactly, that's it yeah. do you know what i mean like we're souls we're not just here we're physically just here yeah and i think when you have faith you understand you see it differently because you understand that this isn't a final destination yeah so there's the hope within life after death so like even though we understand that life isn't the same as we have in this realm, mm -hmm. we understand that actually, like, this isn't the end. Yeah. Like, we die once. Do you get it? After this, your soul will live on and it will go into different realms. And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. as a person of faith, you understand that. And I think it's key because you said that back then you didn't even, you weren't really a person of faith. Yeah. Do you get it? Like, but so processing that trauma back then is difficult because you don't even think about all of that sort of stuff mm -hmm. you're it's almost an anger mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like i remember the first time um i experienced death i was 14 mm -hmm. and my my best friend was you know like ends gangs all this sort of stuff and he was stabbed 12 times do you get it? Mm -hmm. and i remember being 14 hearing about this thinking that's mad like yeah. but it's it wasn't new to me because i had seen it but because it's somebody that you know. i was super 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 close to i was like no nah, like i must feel so real like you feel it's like weird, yeah. you're gonna wake up the next day and they're gonna be there do you get it and then i remember i remember being on the phone to his mum, and they were rushing him to the hospital and then two hours later he died in the hospital and I was just thinking, I didn't believe it. I'll be mm -hmm. honest, I didn't yeah. believe it. I'm out here like 14, what's that? Like year eight, year nine, walking out of school, you know, just going home, grabbing yeah. foods, whatever. Even though I've just got off the phone of his mum, they're in the hospital, I still don't believe it mm -hmm. until the funeral. Yeah. And I remember sitting, there, like, like, obviously he was Christian as well. So I remember standing there thinking, that's mad. Yeah, how did this happen? That's mad. Like. Mm -hmm. And because obviously we're Muslim and I remember him being, the, the faith difference as well and the mm -hmm. process of trauma within faith stood That's out to me. That's another level, man. It was so different. I remember going to see his mom, all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, I don't even know how I could help you get through this because I don't even know how I'm going to get through it. Yeah. And it's mad because um, you're actually 14, 15. Yeah, trying to pro process adult feelings and emotions. Because most people yeah. actually don't experience grief Till later on in their lives right. which i didn't realize i thought it was normal to lose a lot of friends when i'm when young young yeah not even a few months after or a few years after i just continuously lost people right and, like one of my friends died in a concussion he mm -hmm. got into a fight the night before and the next day he never woke up right yeah and that was it he was gone yeah 19 and i hear my best friend's mom has got diagnosed with stomach cancer and is given three months to live yeah i think we've become, just... we've become so numb to it um and especially from the environments we come from 
And I always say to people, a lot, a lot of the experiences we have will always stem from poverty mm-hmm. because that environment will lead to you being more susceptible to death. Yeah. Do you get it? Whether it's naturally, whether it's because um, you got to do what you got to do, whether yeah. it, do you not, it's just because the environment itself. Also the roots of what we do for fun. For example, mudding yeah. isn't something that rich people would go and do. Facts. You'll do never I mean? see a rich but man like, doing When that. you have limited resources and all you really have is a car, going to do those things seems like fun at the time at 15, 16. Right. And like just even in terms of healthcare stomach cancer Mm. generally happens to people who are in poverty because they're eating stuff that isn't great for them like frozen foods and processed foods even simple things like water ain't clean yeah do you get like bro even 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 having water was a luxury do you Mm -hmm. know how mad that is yeah i remember i I remember when when i moved out the hood girl (laughs) when i went into the white people ends i was speaking to a girl and she was telling me how she lived in like a gate. Me, I'm still in an estate, by the mm-hmm. way. She was like, yeah, live in a gated area, boom, boom, boom. I didn't believe her. She she threw a party. I pulled up to the party. Why am I seeing gates? You know when the, the address isn't even a number, it's a name. It's like it's something yeah, that's like how it's bougie. It's bougie. You know, I didn't know how to act. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to act. I was like, this is mad. Yeah. Like, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And for me to even f- feel a type of way or have that as an abnormal circumstance mm-hmm. is even mad yeah because it goes to show that your environment really shapes you it and does. i think that when i went home i really understood right like i think because i think when you're poor you don't really realize you're poor until someone rich comes along yeah of course comparison yeah so i'm yeah. going home thinking well right like we don't even have hot water like <laughs> what's going on but the older you get it makes sense yeah do you see what i'm saying and i think a lot of people that come from that lifestyle are very quick to be numb when it comes to death. Like, mm-hmm. Because like, it becomes the norm. It's, so norm. it's just like Even me at this age, I'll be honest, like when I hear somebody's passed away, it's just like people die every day. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good way to look at it or a bad way, but that's just how it is. But processing trauma now from understanding someone's, like the relationship you had with that person. Mm-hmm. And just, like that's where it becomes difficult because that's what leads to negative different routes lanes yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. lanes that people start to go down because they don't understand their emotions yeah it's mad um because some most of the time it's like with grief it's there's so many layers to grief people think it's just sadness but there's a i realized in experiencing it multiple times it's different each time right but also the the things that are in common is i go through sadness i feel angry Mm -hmm. whether it's at myself or just like just existing in itself and I just would be I'd be angry about it mm-hmm. and I would feel then I would feel some kind of peace at some point mm. but then I would hear something that like a song that would remind me of that person and I would be like sobbing That's, and crying I hate that I mean, shit, or I you, smell, <laughs> you smell something that smells like them yeah. and you just sent with all these thoughts of them and there's times when you feel like your grief is okay and it's you're over with it but then the anniversary of their death comes mm. and you're brought right back to the the first day when you found out they died did you deal with it with sadness or with anger because i was just mad i was i was angry all the time i was sad for a long time and then i re- resorted to anger mm. when it came to um, my friendships with people okay. so it was almost like when people try to to get me to get some kind of help mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they could see that I was really struggling mentally, I lashed out. Like yeah. I would be like, you wouldn't even recognize me because I would just like turn red. Walls up. Yeah. yeah, everything is just crazy. Mm. But it hit, I think for me, it was so, most of my grief was internalized for so many years. Right. 
that once I by the time I hit 19 and um the most recent death happened yeah that just to me was like that's it I can't do it anymore yeah like I actually got to a place where I tried to bargain with God in her last few months of life right she had stomach cancer right and I was like God please just take me instead of her yeah, like yeah, she yeah. deserves to live more than I can right. than, more than I do like yeah. I like I thought I actually could do that yeah we like, really I think like, we have powers like I'm a bargain chip just take me and we know, can exchange yeah because like. I was thinking like she has like she has a daughter like she has a family like I don't really have much of a purpose at right. the time I was 19 I didn't understand life in Anything. any sense right yeah but once I realized that like at her funeral the day of her funeral I was just gone mm-hmm. like I was not even mentally there I checked out yeah and a, f- a few weeks later I ended up um trying to attempt suicide mm. and instead of me voluntarily being like yeah I'll go to the hospital and get help I said if anyone calls the ambulance or the hospital like I'll hate you forever yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like I would don't ever talk to me yeah and my best friends were the ones to do it and I remember hearing the ambulance from a distance and I just turned to my best friends and I looked at them like how could you betray me do you know what I mean I was enraged I was just looking at them like how could you do this to me but in in actuality they were trying to save me from yourself yeah because they could just see like Lena like you're turning blue and I would I thought that I could survive an attempted suicide on my own. Like, right, yeah. Because we really think we're superheroes. Yeah. Like, I was just, it, it just, it was crazy. The whole, that whole experience in itself and then um, even being in a mental hospital and mm. seeing when other I patients. had discussions with other people. Mm. I was the youngest person because I was in an adult psych ward. Right. And you weren't there for a week, right? Yeah, yeah. around a week. Um, but I was the youngest person there and I just remember having conversations with people and most of them were around grief and maybe it's not necessarily grief as in they lost someone mm. in life but like they lost someone they left or they cheated on them or they that died whatever different ways it. of people leaving but right. they're all grieving in some way or another mm. or they're grieving their old self right Which, I mean when you experience depression it feels like there's the version of you now mm. and then the happy version that you used to be right but in actuality you're just the same you're, the same. you're just on you're a journey just, you're just on feeling a, different things it's not linear you don't just go from being sad to happy instantly and then you're just going to stay happy and you're going to be at that point for the rest of your life right like it's just a continuous up and down up and down yeah and that experience in the hospital was one terrifying you know like yeah. those you know like the horror movies when they do the flashing lights yeah, yeah, like yeah. I mean, this is American mental hospital. Like that's mad. You know, I remember when you first told me that. I was like, huh? Yeah, like <laughs> I was like a whole cycle. That's wild. It's to me. literally in over there at that time. It it was what year was this? Two thousand and thirteen. At that time, it was like a prison. You can't yeah. go outside. They have the bars on the windows. You can't open a window for fresh air. Mm. Um, and you have to follow the schedule every day. Your room is just blank. Like it's just white. Um, doors did you have a roommate? Yeah, I did. What was? I don't remember. I wish I remembered her name. Do you know what they were in for? Yeah, she, she was a new mom, and I think something had happened with her and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I think he cheated, mm-hmm. um, and she. I think she just felt overwhelmed being a young mom. She must have been like twenty one or twenty two at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember exactly when she came in because it was like it must have been eleven o'clock at night, and it was my first night in the hospital. Right. And I'm just laying there looking at these like blank white walls and thinking, how did I end up here? Yeah, what in the hell? <laughs> like, how did I end up here? Like, like wow. I was so baffled, and yeah. she came in, and I tried to sleep. I'm thinking, okay, let me try to sleep, and I'm turning, tw- t- uh, tossing and turning, mm-hmm. and I hear her sobbing, 
oh, like nice. under her blanket and I just something inside me was like I need to talk to this girl you see you're brave you're, you're I'm in a mental hospital you're a different type of brave you're like I'm brave in it but I'm not tapped I think yeah. you're tapped so I got up and I sat on the edge of this girl's bed That's and I just mad, like yeah. put my hand on her and it's like I know I don't know you but <laughs> stop if you she's like I don't I know we don't know yeah. each other right now it's like, but if you want to talk to me I'm here and yeah. I just it was weird because it's like she didn't she talked to me a little bit but, but mostly it was like her just needing someone there like me just sitting with her in a weird way I was distracting myself from my own problems in that Mm -hmm. time anyways Mm -hmm. but her knowing that someone was with her was nice right um and also for me because I was actually terrified to be in that space I was thinking like what's gonna happen to me here I think I think mental asylums maybe it's just because of how I grew up in it I think mental asylum, psych wards, anything like that, I personally find that more fearful than prison. Yeah. Even though you can fully die in jail, Yeah. I just think when you're in a, when you know people around you aren't sane, mm-hmm. that's a different fear. Yeah, it was scary. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I walked in, they didn't even tell me I was actually going into the psych ward. Right. They let my best friend wheel me in in the wheelchair and then stopped at the elevator and turned to my friend and said, you can't come with us at this point. They just told me they were taking me to another ward. But because they knew that I had said to a nurse that I wanted, I was like, I had attempted suicide, they had to involuntarily admit me. Right. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Because I had made that statement of like, I wanted to die, right. they had to admit me in. Awesome. So I'm wheeled in, the elevator goes up and there's like, like I'm not even kidding, like those prison like bars and they have to press this like code. And Is this the, in Detroit? Yeah. That's mad. Door opens, you come in, and they wheeled me into this dark small room and told me I need to take off all my clothes. And they like inspect my entire body. For uh, like bruising. For bruising, I guess. And stuff, yeah. Um, and also to make sure I'm not bringing anything in. Like literally yeah. like prison, right? Yeah. And I just remember like feeling so exposed. Cause I'm just like, it was just uncomfortable. But the rest of that time, it was like the f- my first experience when I came in. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at all these people thinking, oh my gosh, these people are psycho, like they're crazy. Right. Like I'm just depressed. <laughs> I'm just sad. Like, just, I'm just really sad. Someone, just, someone get me out of here. And so I actually ended up talking with a lot of them because we forced to do like group therapy and stuff like that. Right. And the people that I initially was terrified of, mm-hmm. I connected with. Right. And I think this is, that's one of those experiences that taught me so much about not judging people because sometimes what you think might be crazy is actually like probably the most sane thing yeah like sometimes the most people that you call insane are the most sane people they're just they're experiencing life how it should be as in they're experiencing every emotion as they should right and so they're kind of misunderstood in a sense Mm -hmm. but i think it's just the whole experience is crazy like the men in the women's ward was not really separated by any gate or anything mm. and there was a guy there that threatened to rape me multiple times no way. so and there wasn't much protection there and i think in that system it's the only protection i had was the other women and men that like almost felt protective of me because i was the youngest one there and right. they kind of stepped up and they're like you need to stay away from her yeah like all this like just the whole dynamic of being there was insane yeah but the entire week. time felt like a lifetime yeah exactly it felt it felt like forever mm. my only thing when i went in there was how am i gonna get out <laughs> yeah, yeah. she said prison break i was like this is not a movie this is my real Michael life Schofield. this is happening right now Crazy. so i had exams the next week 
I was in no college way. at the time, community college, which is like almost like fir- first year of uni. Uni, yeah. You guys? Yeah. I had my big exams the following week. Obviously, I just tried to attempt suicide, but my first thought is, I need to get an A on my exams. Do you know how, you know, you know when life really hits you, now you start yeah, thinking exactly. like the You're same person. Exactly. Your priorities were all over the place five minutes ago. When so I, I told thinking. my psychiatrist, I was like, you see, I need to get out of here because I have exams next week. They must have like, but did you not just come in here for trying to kill yourself? So I was like, yeah, but I'm good now. <laughs> He's like, oh, no. I don't think you're good. I was like, no, no, I'm good. Like, listen, ask me anything. I'm good. I'm Leave good. us up, though. You so every morning, love. I would have a meeting with my psychiatrist. And every morning, it would be the same conversation. He would ask me what's wrong. I'd be like, I'm fine. There's <gasps> nothing wrong. And it never, it was always hitting a wall because it was very much like, he didn't really give me an like, he didn't make me feel safe to speak. Right. I just felt like, I just need to get out of here. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm going to get more crazy being here. And right. I would hear conversations of other people saying, you know, Lena, if the psychi- psychiatrist doesn't release you here, they send you off to a more permanent place. Uh, I was like, uh, permanent? Permanent? <laughs> what do you God mean? Like, forbid, let me get I out. can't be here longer than this week. Like, every day felt like a week. That's mad. Because it would drag on so slow, like... Mm. Just imagine the whole day you're just talk, trying to talk, they're trying to ask you about your mental health and your mental state. I would have like, gone mad. No one in my entire life's asked me about my mental state. And now you're asking me for 24 <laughs> hours straight. That's yeah. draining. Yeah. So that was, that was a crazy that experience. Let's talk about Libya. Yeah. Because you have one of the most interesting life stories, actually, that I've ever come across. I'll be honest. Let me not gas you too much because you know, and that's gonna your head is <laughs> up in the trauma. So love the trauma. <laughs> but um, I think when you first told me about Libya, I thought I just thought I was mad. Like, yeah. Like no matter what I've gone through in this UK, yeah, I just feel like it doesn't compare, and it's just mad. Like how how old were you when you were first when you first went? Um. Well, I was after I came out of the mental hospital. This was the same year. The same year. Yeah. Ah! After I came out of the mental hospital, That's my cool. Libyan parents said to me, okay, it's time we, we're we going to take a family trip to Libya. Let's go back home. Yeah. So Let's I was like, back. no, hell no. I just came out of mental hospital. You want me to go to another one? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm good. Um, but my mom convinced me to go. So I went. I was working full time and studying full time at the time. I got accepted into um, a really good university for the semester. This is before even going to mental hospital. Right. So I had like plans. I had my driver's permit, mm. and I was gonna start doing driver's lessons and all that stuff. Cool. Um, we ended up in Libya. We're supposed to stay there for two weeks. I took two weeks off of work to be back. Two weeks passed by in Libya and nothing. Like, you're still there. I'm still here. My mom was like, No, no, no. We're not gonna leave yet. Another two weeks passed by, so it's a month now. Nothing. Wow. A month and a half passes by, nothing. Okay, now it's two months, Mark. And the follow- next week, my mom's like, we're going home, right? Okay. But the night before, we're supposed to fly out. Like, I've literally counted down the days. Yeah. The night before we're supposed to leave, my mom sits me down and says, we're going home, but you're going to stay here. Mm. I was like, I would have flipped excuse table. me? flipped the table I lost it I was just thinking this is the worst possible thing you could tell me because I'm in a foreign country that like I haven't been to in 10 years mm. I'm with my grandma my family but I haven't seen them in 10 years I, I don't know anyone here right and my life is not here like I'm supposed to start university soon right, right. did and you have a passport no they, take that? they had my passport passports do you know what I mean so it was like you were I, really stuck 
And like in Libya, it's not one of those things like people in the West would be like, well, why don't you just get a ticket and go home? Like, first of all, get a ticket. My savings wasn't enough to get a ticket all the way back to the US. To the whole, yeah. Secondly, I actually wasn't a US citizen. I had a green card only. Okay. So I have a UK citizenship. Okay. And thirdly, there's no taxis. There's, there's no Uber. There's nothing. Yeah. You can't just... If I hopped into a random guy's car and asked him to take me to the airport, do you think I'll make it out alive? Do you think we would make... Are you even going to the airport? No. You don't know where you're going. So, at that point, I was just thinking, okay, my world is ending right now. Like, I thought my... That year was bad. Like, experiencing death and then mental hospital and now Libya. I was like, Mm. no, this is... This is not it. You lot are trying to finish me. This is not my year. (laughs) So, they were like, you can enroll in the medical school. Mm. I was like, okay, that's not what I want to do. Right. But that was the only option in terms of learning in english okay so i at this point i was like after i spent like weeks of defying and like being like you know what if you guys leave me here i'll just kill myself for real this time because that's my first thought i was just like exit plan you want to threaten me let's play you guys are gonna leave me here because to me that was the end of the world being in that country yeah but then i was there for almost two years but about a few months in Mm. the war started right so i thought my nightmare had begun by living there but the moment that it's a civil war, right? Yeah, yeah, it was the second one after Gaddafi was killed. Right. And I just remember looking outside my window and you just see explosions. And the mm. aftershock of the explosions, like you can feel the the building shaking. Vibrating, like I'm on the yeah. third floor and I could feel the building shaking. And it was terrifying because that was like, my mortality was being put to the test now mm. I wanted to die but did I really want to die because now so I'm scared want, yeah like I don't want to die like this though like, yeah that's mad and it was like death was every single day and most of the time it was 15 16 year old boys that were part of the army um the guy that was my neighbor downstairs I saw every single morning they would mm. always say good morning to me he wasn't much older than me he's a few years old I think he was like 21 mm. he was walking to the corner shop one day mm. and a random missile hit him and he died instantly my thing is i still to this day remember laying in my bed and i just heard his mom's sobbing because she lived underneath us directly underneath my grandma's apartment and i could hear the sobbing just like up the coming up the building like you could feel her pain yeah and it was just like i'm just thinking wow this is this is a lot because i was living such a privileged life Mm. in the u.s yeah and I felt so ungrateful at that point. Right. Because I was thinking, there's people out here who've been living this for their whole lives. Yeah. Like, since they were born, that's all they've known. They've yeah. only really known war and turmoil and poverty. Mm. And I felt guilty at that point Mm-mm-mm. for having just lived my life so... Like, I almost felt like I was being negative. Obviously, depression is chemical and stuff. Right. But to an extent, I had some kind of power of... Um, trying to make my life better which i had some sort of self-control yeah that you gave up on to reach out and actually get help properly and um make something of myself Mm -hmm. like if i didn't like the direction of my life right um so maybe like even though your experience was very traumatizing maybe you needed that yeah i always tell people like i would if i was given a choice of that to be part of my life or not i would still choose for it to be a part of my life right because it gives me a better understanding of life and death in the sense of you only have now mm. your present moment because mm. no second like literally in the next second you could die right there is no guarantee of that do you know Trust. what i mean and it's like i think when people live in that state you can live in that state and be in fear mm. or you can live in that state and be like almost like set free right by 
what society expects from you, right? right? You have, I think, as an anxious person, mm. I always felt anxious about everything. Like, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, and it felt like every little thing that I had to do felt overwhelming. Right. But when I thought about it in the sense of, okay, everything doesn't have to feel overwhelming if I know that it doesn't really matter. Right. Like, these little things that I was worrying about have no value in my life five years from now right right like what job i choose to have right now or what career i choose it doesn't matter in the end you know what i mean mm-hmm. um how okay so obviously our education we are very privileged in education because obviously we live in the western world so we can process and understand things properly let's mm-hmm. just say how did your family, who were born and raised in Libya, mm-hmm. who were living through the civil war, like, their whole lives, how did they process the trauma? Because I remember you telling me a story about um, how you and your family used to stay up and just banging jokes. And yeah. that you're hearing bombs and shootings in the backgrounds, but that was almost their way of processing trauma, whether they understood it or not. Yeah, you become... When death is every single day to the point, you literally see... In Muslim culture, you have funeral tents outside in Libya, do you right. know what I mean? So you know how many people have literally died that day when you walk down the road. Right. And I think, especially my grandma, my poor grandma had experienced so much grief within her family and friends. Like, she was going to a funeral every single day. Mm. So for her it, and the rest of my family, they just became desensitized because they realized they still have to live their life even though there's death happening. Right. That's just life in general. Right. But Death is the only thing that's guaranteed in this world. Nothing yeah, exactly. Else. But they knew that they can't just sit there and, like be in fear for like it's almost two years like they can't do that for two years they have to go do their jobs and like try to function and i think my family used a sense of humor when it comes to that Mm. so my grandma like there would be bombs outside and to like kind of lighten the mood because she could you can always feel that tenseness of when the bombs begin right and it's like to lighten the mood she'd be like kaboom do you know what i mean and it's like it's not funny if you think of it from like a serious perspective right but to my grandma it's like do you know what we need to we need to lighten up a bit because if we allow this to destroy our mental health then we're not living Mm -hmm. like those people that died are um like they're considered martyrs for us do you know what i mean and it's young people and you know what i think when because we were born and raised so to say in the western world i think when we look back home we look at culture we look at this we automatically we have an understanding of they're close-minded mm-hmm. so they wouldn't know how to deal with this because i deal with it this way and i've been educated to deal with it this way yeah but really and truly little things like that elements of humor that they would use to heal and help heal their families goes against that whole ideology yeah because just because we don't understand their perspective or mm-hmm. how they deal with their thing doesn't mean it's wrong yeah. doesn't mean it's backwards doesn't mean it's anything and it's just different because it's of different the culture. and it works for them yeah I remember, like, even taking... I had melatonin to help me sleep. I was on, like, three different anti-anxiety meds and antidepressants. Right. And I had melatonin, which is just a supplement to help me sleep. I really could not sleep, obviously, with the bombs and stuff. So, one day, my grandma came to me. She had just come from a funeral, and Mm -hmm. she just looked... She just looked so sad, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, I can't sleep. And I just looked at the melatonin. I was like, Grandma, do you want to try this? And she's like, sure. So she took it, and she, like, slept like a baby, right? That's (laughs) so cute. The next day, she came to me, and she's like can I have more <laughs> you drug addict no, it's just, you put her on it's like that's lit. little things like that that, that in that moment I then realised I was like wow like I'm yeah I have my own trauma that I've been dealing with this year outside of my family but 
but then in the same sense everyone else is dealing with their own trauma right. that was like the, that moment that clicked for me I was like Turn I'm not the point. only person that's in pain right suffering you finally you get to step out of your head for a yeah. second and actually see everybody else mm-hmm. you know and do you know I think that's so cute yeah it's so cute my grandma man. happiness lies in the most simple things yeah even that as an example is that that could have boosted her happiness yeah. differently and you would have never known exactly. you would have just seen it as oh she wants some more like i put you but on. even <laughs> even spending time with her she got to tell me her own story mm. and she actually had been in a mental hospital when she was about my age as well wow. like she had gone through her own trauma and that's how she like that's that's how she she related it to me but i never knew that story no one ever talked about that story but that was her story to tell, do you know what I mean? Mm. And when she told me, it was like, I felt, I was like, okay, I'm not alone. And I felt that way that I felt like I was going crazy. Right. And it just, it also made me see how strong she was as a woman because yeah. you've, you've kept it together for so long and yeah. you've tried to put everyone else first. But in that, people always talk about, I don't know, generational trauma. Right. It passes on when one person's not healed and it passes on. Because trauma actually physically changes your body. Yeah. It changes the way your brain is formed. Mm-hmm. That's why things like anxiety and depression exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, there's a physiological aspect to trauma. Right. And um, when I realized this, I was like, I've been carrying it, my trauma with me for so long. Right. Which is why anxiety feels like I'm dying. Yeah, like, yeah You feel yeah. like you're trying to... You can't like, breathe. Yeah, you can't breathe. Yeah. Because that's what's happened. It's a build-up. You haven't allowed things to process yeah do you know what yeah i wanted to let's shift on to healing now Mm -hmm. um i think maybe it's because a lot of us were never taught how to heal yeah you know or a lot of us just don't even know where to start when it comes to healing Yeah, definitely and a lot of people think that putting things under the rug or not speaking on things because it works for them up to a certain point they feel as if they've healed. Um, I wanted to speak on how, what was the steps that you took, whether it was faith, whether it was therapy, whether it was speaking to people, whether it was experiences, like what did you do to understand your pain and then heal from it? Mm -hmm. For me, the first step was facing my mortality in a spiritual sense. Right. So I was digging for spiritual answers, which funnily enough, was under my nose the entire time. I was born Muslim. It always is. Um, but my parents had different beliefs. My mom was practicing, my dad was not. Right. So it was, being raised that way is very confusing. So mm. you don't really end up, maybe some kids would end up following the mom or the dad, but for me, I just felt in the middle. Like I wasn't sure where I sat. Right. When I lived in Libya, I then did some soul searching mm. and I went on to read more about Islam. Mm. Just on my own mm. no one else was talking to me I just kind of dug deeper and I I learned things and like reading the Quran and stuff and I started praying right and I just remember praying Fajr one morning and um they normally start the bombs and the missiles at Fajr right okay. so that's when they would start and I would be praying Fajr and I remember resting my head in sujood and that w- in that moment I did not feel terrified I did not feel scared that was the first time I ever felt peace in my life mm. and I was in the most like chaotic place I'd ever been in my life yeah yeah I felt peace and that to me was just like yeah this mm. is it for me but I think it took more time when I moved here mm. to to come to really like um face that healing right I kind of I, I went backwards in a sense yeah so I found I found what I believed was like my ultimate truth right. in Islam 
I came here, I kind of got lost in the dunya, right? Mm-hmm. As we, everyone does, you know? Of course, yeah. I got lost in the dunya and then I was faced, I mean, you were literally there with me, but I was faced with my mortality again when I looked myself in the mirror and I said to you, I saw myself old, mm. but that wasn't, like, I saw myself, when I looked in the mirror, I saw myself as, um, like, I was just very old. You saw like the older I, version of yeah, you. But, but not in an yeah. aged... Yeah, not aged well. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I felt like I looked like I was aged in a horrible way. Right. Like I looked like a miserable, like bitter person. Right. And that freaked me out. I snapped out. I was like, okay. The next day I was like, I'm putting hijab on. Right. I'm focused on my deen. I'm mm. forgetting all this stuff. I was very much um, clinging to attachments of people. Yeah. Which actually stemmed from my grief because I always had this fear of losing people to death. Yeah. And when I detached, started detaching from people, spent more time alone, mm. and spent more time focusing on my faith, that was right. the first step. Right. That was just the beginning. I thought, okay, now I'm going to be good. This is where we really start. Like, yeah. this whole life I've been living before, I don't no. know what that was, but this is my life then now. Then it's doing shadow work, which is people try to skip the shadow work. They want to go from finding my truth, I'm healed. Right. Right? And I even I have a therapist now, but mm-hmm. when, I, when I talked to her about it, I always said, you know what, for the last 10 years... Mm. I've just been wanting to jump to the healed bit. Yeah. I don't want to do the actual work to get there, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I think that's a very human attribute, though. Yeah. I think all of us, even with me, even when, you know, when I'm training with Rafia, yeah. he always comes and says to me, like, if I give you a, the complex boxing, anything, any form of training that is related to what we do, he's like, the complex thing, you can do it like that. Mm-hmm. But simple, simple stuff he's like you get you get confused yeah. you can't do it you get frustrated but that simple simple stuff is what teaches you dis- discipline and consistency Facts. that's Facts. what actually builds the foundation of anything Facts. you can't just build a house like this like yeah. you can't just you st- can't build a house you can't put the floor. roof of a house and not have any bricks underneath do you know what i mean like, yeah, no that's what i was trying to do for 10 years Sis. i had had a roof nothing else we were all like we all lived that life trust yeah. me oh it's like it's a the things that our brain does to keep us surviving to make us think that we're okay is interesting. Right, yeah. So the shadow work that I had to do, I've been doing it for since the beginning of this year, end of December. Right, yeah. Right? I've been in therapy and oh my. Like, oh my. <laughs> I've really sat with myself. Okay. And I feel like not many people even do want to do that. Do you know what? I think you actually changed my opinion on therapy. Mm-hmm. Because I have always, maybe it's from the life that I came from or my upbringing or whatever, but I've always been raised to like, if we're gonna deal with this, we're gonna deal with it ourselves. Yeah, that's how my family Whether was. it was family matters, whether it was mental health, whether it was external, whether it was that like things that happened in the ends, like we would, maybe it was the fear of asking for help or yeah. a pride thing. Or it's a shame thing to, also. Yeah, it's, and I think with me, it was always, my pride was too high for me to ever yeah. come and ask for help. Do yeah. you get? Like everything, I think you know me like I'm still kind of like that like yeah. um I don't like to tell my business and I don't like to seek help from others mm-hmm. like I've always it's been... hard to ask for help though if your entire life you've been told not to ask for help do you get it I mean yeah and I think when a lot of people go through them try and master their own healing mm-hmm. they don't heal properly yeah they don't and I think when you told me you started because you're doing um what's the art psychotherapy Arts. which is funny because i studied psychology right right and psychotherapy is the one thing that i was like nah that's you're dead like... i'm doing cbt on myself wow <laughs> and cbt is like cognitive behavioral therapy because to me at the time studying it i was like that's what makes sense to me right you change your thoughts you change your behavior mm. and you're good to go right no <laughs> it ain't that simple art anymore. psychotherapy is a lot more um 
feel like you really get into it. It's like, therapeutic. Yeah. The process itself is deeper. And it's not every week we do some arts. It's yeah. Sometimes I do art and I show it to her and we'll talk about it. Or sometimes I'll just talk for the entire hour. Yeah. And it's like, she'll ask me questions. And I, that entire the rest of the week, I'm thinking about that question. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's really sunk in. And I think when you first rang me and told me like, Mm-hmm. look Miriam I'm doing therapy and it's going to be like this and that and the other and then you came back and you told me how it went mm-hmm. I was I don't even know how to explain how I felt mm-hmm. like I don't know if I, like, I was proud I was happy but I, I felt like that there was a weight lifted off of you yeah and I mean you know when it, you know when you put on your scarf how happy I was and yeah. like I was but that was just like but this, to me I didn't even think about that yeah that was just like first step you were like go let me just go do that but this because maybe it's because that was just a physical action and me knowing this is a mental Mm -hmm. battle now that you've been facing for 10 or more years yeah like i genuinely i know you're older than me yet but i felt like a proud mom i felt like like my baby's going out into this world and doing her thing you know that's the one thing that i've been avoiding i've been telling people from like two years ago i'm I'm gonna go get therapy Mm. but i didn't do it yeah did i make any action towards it no right i said yeah i'm gonna go get therapy looked at therapists like nah yeah didn't do it i actually was on the waiting list for this therapist for months Right. And then even when she emailed me back, I was hesitant. I was like, Do you know what? Maybe I should just ghost her. Maybe I should just sleep it off. Yeah, like, <laughs> we'll just have like, those. Ghost man, ghost therapist, just, you know, avoid yeah. it, eat my problems, that's yeah. fine. Get but no, something problem. inside me was like, Lena, this time. if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you got to do it. Yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. So I did it. And I was just like, even during the sessions, sometimes like you can, my voice is shaking when I'm speaking to her because it's so vulnerable. Mm. Like you don't even have these conversations with your friends or family sometimes right and um i think it's very interesting how to see how we are as humans because a lot of people hate change but change is where growth lies yeah do you get it so in order for you to grow you need to change something whether Mm -hmm. it's the way you think whether it's the way you do things whether it's speaking about your issues when you never did like there's always like you don't lose when you change yeah because you will always gain growth yeah whether it goes left or not is a different situation but you will always gain growth you'll always gain knowledge and it's like one thing i like to say is always self-invest in yourself because you'll never lose yeah regardless self-investing i think is so important because if you can understand how your psychology is your conscious your, your subconscious the way you process things your capacity to understand mm-hmm. your trauma somebody else's whatever you will be you will navigate through life more peacefully yeah because things will always come and then you also don't bring your trauma into other people